The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 On this week's show, Irish international sprinter Joan Healy joins me on the Big Red Bench to review her national championships 100-meter finals and what lies in store for the remainder of an exciting year. Alana Canaan is on this week's podcast to review the Republic of Ireland's World Cup qualifying win away to Georgia. AFLW expert and coach of the Irish Aussie Rules stars Mike Curran is back with all the latest news plus news of new Irish recruits. Munster Women's Rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan is on the bench to talk about plenty of positive Munster Women's Rugby developments including a new team from County Clare. The bench's Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie previews the 2022 British Grand Prix at Silverstone. We hear from Cork LGFA senior manager Shane Ronane and captain Darren O'Sullivan following the Rebels TG Car All-Ireland Championship victory over Waterford. Cork Camogie senior manager Matthew Toomey joins me to preview their big match with Tipperary this weekend and we hear from Echo columnist Mary Newman on the Cork Intermediates, Under-16s and A-Rogue's fantastic fail of success. That's all to come on this week's Monster Women in Sport podcast. Irish international sprinter Joan Healy finished third behind Rashida Adeleke and Molly Scott following a thrilling 100 metres Irish Athletics national finals last weekend. I caught up with the West Cork native to find out about her upturn and farm, Derville O'Rourke and Marion Heffernan's influence, plus a possible showdown with sister Phil Healy at the upcoming Cork City Sports. Now, it is a real thrill here on the Big Red Bench to be joined by an Irish international sprinter and uh, one of West Cork's finest athletes. Uh, one, and many athletes come out of that part of the country, he said, living there himself. But it's, fa- it's fantastic that we're joined now here on the Big Red Bench by Joan Healy. Joan, you're very welcome. How are you? Thanks. Very good. Thank you very much for having me on. It's brilliant that you've taken time out of uh, the hec- the most hectic of schedules, I would imagine, at the moment. You're coming off the Irish Athletics National uh, Championships this past weekend, where you took part in the 100 metres, a fascinating 100 metres final race. Mm-hmm. Um, you finished third behind uh, Rashida Adeleke and Molly Scott, but only, uh, I mean, there's split seconds in it. So yes. I guess the first question I have is basically, from your own perspective as an athlete, what was the race like from your point of view? Obviously, you want to win the race, but your progress and the closing of the gap to two of the fastest, the other fastest people in this particular um, in this particular field. You must be. Are you happy with your performance? Um, or, or what, where does it leave you now? So thrilled. Um, well, like obviously coming into this year, I've obviously had a terrible time with all my injuries. Um, so six weeks ago, I was on crutches um, after two procedures on my Achilles again. So nationals wasn't even, we didn't even think it might happen. Um, so to be in nationals, to be coming in there, running fast, to be lined up against the likes of Rashida, who was home from Texas, against Molly, the two girls who have broken the record for over the 60 metres, back and forth between them, all the indoors. Um, Sarah Lavin was thrown in there as well. Mm. Um, so. Like, I was really looking forward to it, but I was also super nervous. Um, I, in the heats, the heats kind of took them easy. The winds were absolutely insane. So they were headwinds. Um, they were insane the day before as well for the people that were competing on the Saturday. Um, but for us, so like usually what you would get here in Ireland, um, Obviously, we prefer tailwinds. Um, you can't go over a plus two tailwind. Otherwise, your time isn't counted. It's too wind aided. 
So the mo- the most then when you get a headwind here in Ireland is usually like a minus one, which is not nice to run into. Um, in my heat, I had a 3.6. Um, so that definitely was not nice. It came out of my drive and I was like, well, I'll just do enough to qualify here. The semi-final, we had a minus 4.2, which was even worse again. Um, but after the semi-final, I... I did enough to qualify, but in the semi, I felt like I was almost at my max and I was third in the semi and Rashida wasn't even in that semi yet. And I was like, oh my God, what is going to happen here in the final? How am I going to pull something out of the bag? Um, But to be quite honest, you know, I just really had to kind of think back on previous championships. Um, I always pull something out of the bag um at previous championships before and I haven't always come into to nationals in good shape um so this year I was really excited because obviously my preparations coming into it were not great but at the same time I'm running as fast as what I've ever been running before I've equaled my PB two weeks ago so I do feel like there was a big performance in there so um so yeah, I, I just, I couldn't, like, it was, it's over so quickly. Um, you are thinking about so much in the race, but I got a cracker of a start. Um, I was next to Rashida um, in the race, um, and I was glad to be over in, in Laney, to be honest. I didn't really want to be kind of in the middle of it, because it was going to be a dogfight anyway, so it was so important that we all ran our own race. Um, Molly is a wickedly fast starter, so it suited me being far away from her. I knew Rashida, Rashida is so tall. So I knew I would get out ahead of Rashida. Um, and I did, I just didn't expect to stay out ahead of Rashida for as long as I did, which was a surprise. I got to 16. I was like, oh my God, I'm up here in the top three. I couldn't believe it. Um, but then obviously Rashida's height and her long legs, she came firing through. Um, so it really was a dip for the line, but to be less than a 10th, um behind Molly and Rashida um I just I couldn't believe it um to be quite honest um that's got to be is, the thing though uh, that is it, it Do you know she, what? Ran, she ran 1168 I mean yeah. in and in the conditions and the way you've explained and how difficult it is when the wind is like that mm-hmm. considering your preparation hadn't been exactly the way you would have wanted it that's got to be a massive confidence boost for you Unbelievable. You belong amongst this. The That's elite. it. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Um, the final now as well. The wind as well was my. It was less than the than the heats, but it was still a minus two point six. Um, so when you convert those in terms of the times and the wind, and you take all that into account, that puts puts Molly definitely into I'd say eleven four is equaling her PB, and it puts me into eleven fifty, which would give me a PB. So I definitely know that I am in PB shape. Um, so. I know like people will be like, oh my God, how, you, how, how can you be so happy finishing third? But like the battle that I've had for the last two years to get myself to even the start line, um, not a mind on the podium. And, and then to be so close to those two girls after what they've produced already this year, that to me was like a gold in itself. Um, so I was absolutely thrilled. Um, that, that's the thing I, I kind of took from that as well when I was watching you in, in the race afterwards. Like, just you know, it's clear, as I said, you're amongst the elite, but now you know you belong amongst the elite. Mm-hmm. If you can get a clean run into any of the next championships, you've got a real chance here now because you proved it. It. how yeah. much. Now, you know how much of a fan I am of Derville Oruk. I've already told you. 
so I'm a fan. You can pass that on. I'm a massive fan. Um, how much of, I suppose, look, not how much of an influence has Derville and Marion Heffernan been on you? Because clearly, clearly it's working and clearly mm-hmm. it is having a positive effect on you. But I guess the question I wanted to ask you is, what is it that the two of those individuals who are fantastic athletes in their own right and what they did and what they achieved, what is it that you've got from them that you didn't expect? I mean, you're obviously going to get a lot of experience. You're obviously going to get some fantastic tips. But Marion Heffern and Durbler work have clearly had a huge effect on you, Joan, in, in the time they've been working with mm-hmm. you. What Massive. Is it? What is it? Well, the two girls themselves, they're, they will never, you know, give themselves the praise. Um, anytime anyone congratulates them, they'll always say, should we've hardly done nothing. Um, and maybe from a physical side, I haven't been able to get the amount of work done that we would have liked to have gotten done. So where, like, I don't think they even realize themselves and how, how much of an influence they've had on my mental side of things. Like I, you know, I had, I spent seven years with my last coach with a great relationship. Um, I went to many championships with them and I ran really fast. But I think we, we got to a stage where we, we both knew that we need a change uh, and I had massive respect for him. But after those injuries and I was at a point where I really wanted to walk away from the sport. Um, so I was at rock bottom and I didn't like what I was doing. But coming back with the girls, um, I just think now that I'm with them, I think it is so, and my, and my, my sister Phil will say this so much as well, that I think it's very important um, to have a coach that's been at some kind of high performance level of sport themselves. Um, Darvel is a world champion. She has numerous international medals, world and European. Marion is the exact same. She's been to an Olympic Games. Um, the experience that they have between the two of them has been just so valuable to me. Um, and, you know, we're not doing anything, I'm not doing anything mad or wild or crazy or different than what I would have usually done in training sessions. It's nothing like that. It's just, I think they bring a level of calmness. Um, they're very logical in the way they approach a race. Um, and that that's probably had the biggest influence on me um, over anything else. Um, Derby was there on on Sunday and it just just the way she kind of breaks things down just these little nuggets these little phrases that she gives you and she probably doesn't know she's doing it to me but it's just (laughs) just how she just gets in your mind um that has I just I can't even it's so hard to describe um I think they're the small little things that have have kept me Um, they've kind of gotten me to fall back in love with the sport again Um, and when you're loving what you're doing you're going to go out there and you're going you're going to run fast Uh, yeah and what an understatement to run fast because Mm -hmm. look at look at you go and look at the effect and it was just when I heard uh, a while back that you were getting involved or you might be getting involved with those two individuals and you've you've laid out exactly that everyone Mm -hmm. knows what their history and what they are and and I think, I think they're the right people for you at the right Absolutely. time in your career. And look, it, that's not to say you didn't have the right people before that or you want afterwards, but right now for what you need to do exactly. and where you need to get to, they are in the right place. And where you need to get to uh, is the World Championships in Oregon yes. later this year. But before that, there is the not so small matter of the Cork City Sports. And I know how important this event is to you. Before you Massive. tell us why... Can we lay, can, can we get in a, I mean, we're, we're, we're setting it up here nicely now, because if you go on the hundred meters, there are rumors. And I just say rumors 
that somebody else with your surname, who's also an yes. athlete who happens to be your sister, may end up running against you. Now, can you give us an update on that? Because I have event, no I will update. Definitely... She's right. keeping her cards very close to her chest. Um, typical Phil. <laughs> she could show up on the day on 100, rock on. Um, she could spring it on me on the day. I'm just doing the four. Um, I have no idea. Um, if she is in the race, all the better. Before, I would have probably been like, oh my God, Phil, would you just, would you just get out of the 100? Like you have your own event. Um, but now I'm just kind of like, no, do you know what? I relish all the competition. I'm running well. We've always run fast when we've been together. So if she is in the race. I'll only be too delighted to have her there. Um, as far as I know, Molly Scott is down to race as well. So um, the race is definitely not going to be short of competition anyway. Um, but this year is going to be more special for me because anytime I've done the Cork City Sports, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've come off nationals and I, I've been in a little bit of a hole to try and get to nationals and things haven't been going well for me. And I always tried to have to pull out some kind of performance, whereas now I know that I'm only getting started. I know there's a PB in there somewhere. I have yet this season from the races that I have run, I have yet to get a tailwind. Um, every race I run this year has been into a headwind, so I'm hoping the wind gods in CIT will be with us uh, next Tuesday. So I'm really looking forward to it, and especially when it's in your home. Um, there's always a great atmosphere there. There's always a big crowd, and everyone is just so excited to see um, who's going to be out on track. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I think that's about the best way to end uh, our, our interview, the podcast, with that caveat just hanging nicely in the air of the two Healy's possibly going head to head and Molly Scott being there Hopefully. as well. Absolutely. Hopefully, we'll see. But listen, yeah. um, I've I've seen it. I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you a couple of times through the years. I'm absolutely delighted to see you in the Thank form you of your much. life. The best is yet to come. Everybody here on the Big Red Bench is looking forward to hearing about more and more success with you and your coaches. John Healy, thank you so much for joining us on the bench and all the best for the rest of the year. Thank you very much. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Alana Conan joined me on this week's Big Red Bench to talk about the Republic of Ireland's big World Cup qualifying group drubbing of Georgia. Alana also gives her take on Vera Pawside's overall progress and we look ahead to that crunch showdown with Finland next September. Now, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by freelance sports journalist um, Alana Conan. We've had Alana on the show before talking about the Women's League of Ireland, but tonight we're going to talk about a very, very important subject and that is the Republic of Ireland coming off a fantastic 9-0 win away to Georgia in their World Cup qualifying group. First of all, though, Alana, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm good, Jerry. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back on. Now, you, like myself and many, many others, watched Ireland uh, produce, uh, a, I suppose, a workman-like performance to win 9-0 away in Georgia. But what were your impressions of the performance uh, and the and some of the goals that were scored? Yeah, I think overall it was a very kind of professional performance from Ireland and uh, expected at that. Now, I know that may come across as cocky to some people if you haven't been following kind of the group, but... Georgia have yet to win a game in that group and have conceded after yesterday over 50 goals without one scored. So it was expected that we should go there and have a massive performance like that and not only collect the three points, but rack up a good tally of goals as well. Because, you know, come the end of this qualification process, they could prove absolutely vital. So, yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, we had some firsts as well, which is kind of always nice to see. Abby Larkin from Shells 
She's only 17 years of age, got on the score sheet, as did Ni Fahi, who was on her 104th cap. Abby Larkin on her first first competitive debut, scoring her first goal for Ireland, and Ni Fahi on her 104th cap, also scoring her first goal for Ireland. So that uh, kind of brought a bit of charm to the proceedings, I guess, because, uh, you know, it's probably suggestive of the wider nature within the squad where things are ever improving, uh, where those names are coming up and popping up alongside our stakeholders, I guess, and Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan, and your Louise Quinns, who Louise as well, it's just an interesting stat I saw as well. She uh, scored two goals last night, of course, but, or sorry, on um, Monday evening, but she, um, she, the off her head again, and she scored 15 goals total now for Ireland, all 15 coming off uh, headers. So I just thought that was phenomenal. I did not but know he, that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 15 goals and them all, them all off her head so it's just suggestive of the the big glue I think they call her in the box there and uh, all the different ways Ireland are capable of scoring now Yeah I mean like even the names that you mentioned off there like it, like Katie McCabe got a hat-trick Denise O'Sullivan played superbly but it's it's those other names and those I won't say fringe players but players that don't normally kind of feature maybe as often in the headlines for Ireland it's important that these players start to step it up because look we went to Georgia expecting to win we beat them 11-0 already so I'm going to put this question to you now, Alana. Like, I mean, it's a fantastic victory. We'll take any victory we can at international level, irrespective of who we're playing against. But are we just a little bit going OTT on how fantastic Ireland are, considering we've beaten a team 20-0 and they've now got like over minus 50, they've no minus 50 of a goal difference. Do, do, do we learn much from these experiences? Yeah, I can see why that kind of would be a standpoint. But I guess in one regard, you have to look at it reflective of the wider group. So, we went to Sweden the last time out and drew with them. So like they're one of the best teams in the world and we still put it up to them um, and managed not to lose, which was the main goal really there. So I think, yeah, like you could look at it and think there's been a bit of overhype, but I think you have to kind of flip that on its head a bit and think maybe, right, maybe this was a confidence builder. And I needed one at that heading into those big, massive games for Ireland in Finland and Slovakia come September. So yeah, I think it, it like it can't have been underestimated what this actually means. While it, the scoreline might suggest that we didn't actually learn anything from it, like we got to blood some new players. Even Philippines game, Stephanie Roach came back. She hadn't played a game since 2017. Now she didn't. She wasn't in the squad for the um, Georgia game. But Jessie Stapleton made her um, international debut there. She's also a young player from Shelburne, and the likes of Abby Larkin coming in there um, on Monday were just like. We need we need these players if we're to progress further. Maybe not even for this campaign, but campaigns beyond that. Yeah, I know that's that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I, I think the preparation as well. There was a time we were giving. There was a time when the Irish players had to share uh, tracksuits, and it's not that long ago. And change in airport lounges, and I have never forgotten that, and I don't think I ever will. And I'll keep bringing it up. We're now yeah. at a point where under Vera Paw and our management team, we go away and play a friendly against the Philippines in, in the heat for a week to prepare for a match in Georgia that we're still expected to win. To me, that is just seismic in how far the, how far the Irish team have come in terms of being taken seriously and preparing properly. And it bodes well for the future. Definitely. Like everything she's done has absolutely raised the standards in there. Now, while you may hear like, it definitely is a tougher regime and a very tough one at that because even the cutthroat nature of that Stephanie Roach thing that I mentioned, like she came back in, she hasn't played a game for Ireland since 2017, played against the Philippines and then uh, 
didn't make the squad yesterday, which is very tough, I'd say, but she's not afraid to make those big calls. And that's what you need in a manager when you're trying to get to her first major tournament because she's not too concerned for the, um, I suppose, the personal nature of it, but looks at what we need for each specific game and targets it towards that because, yeah, she's blooding all those players, like I mentioned, and then also kind of given the confidence, I guess, to um, our players that we know can perform. And, uh, yeah, it can only go up and up from here. It certainly can. I'm, we need to stay positive about it, but I, I always want to go back to the time when it wasn't as yeah. positive because it, it, it's reflective of where we are and it, people need to remember that. But all the excitement now is for September. And as you mentioned, uh, the, the key game is against Finland. As it sits in the in the, in the group, Sweden have played 7 one six. They've got 19 points. They wrote a site. But Ireland are now up to second after six games. They've got 11 points. Finland are third with 10 points. Um, the 1st of September, Finland will come to Dublin. It, it's going, the tickets haven't gone on sale yet, but by the time our podcast comes out, they will, and it'll be sold out. And that is fantastic. There's going to be huge hype coming into Atlanta, and rightly so. But this is a proper test now for Vera Paul and our players. They've got to be controlled. They've got to be ready. I mean, I know it's a, it seems like a long way away, but it will come around very, very quickly. But the opportunity to get a playoff spot now, remember, this is what we're playing mm. for, to get to the World Cup in 2023. How much do you, how much pressure do you think is going to be on the players for that particular finish game? And let's not forget they got to play Slovakia as well. But that, that finish game, I mean, the, the right result there and like we're into a playoff, but the pressure that some of the players, like the likes of McCabe and O'Sullivan and a few more, the established players will be used to it from previous campaigns. But the younger players that you mentioned there will not be used to this level of media hype and attention coming into mm. it. How important is it that they play Finland and do not get caught up in the hype leading into that game? Extremely important. And just as well, Jerry, you mentioned two points there that I think are really important to remind people. First of all, there is the Finland game, but there's also the Slovakia game, which will be maybe, I would suggest, more tough than the Finland game because we play Finland at home, we go away to Slovakia. And it could be wrapped up if we win against Finland we won't really have to worry about the Slovakia result. And then the second one was, this is all for a playoff spot. Mm. So Ireland could have to play four more games before we even talk about reaching a World Cup. But yeah, just those two things I wanted to mention, because I feel like, like you're saying, in this media hype, it's going, oh, if we finish second now and beat Finland, this will be us. But I'd love it to be, but uh, there's a stretch longer than that to go. But yeah, as you say, massive pressure on them now. Um, but I suppose in one regard, they're kind of used to that. Those big players that you mentioned play in these big leagues around the world. And that's, again, what has raised that professional standard for them. But like Keaton McCabe is one of Arsenal's best players. She'll be well used to that pressure. It is, as you say, those younger players maybe, but I don't expect they'll play as big of a part in uh, those two games as maybe the Georgia game or um, previous games we've even seen them because like we have to put out our strongest team uh, for those two games even. And even, you know, the likes of the decision the other day to leave out Jamie Finn. Jamie Finn had picked up a yellow card and had she got another one, would have missed those two games. So Vera left her out as a precaution. So that, like, you know, shows you, like, we're saving our big guns, really, for these two games, as we rightly should. And, uh, yeah, as you say, too, there's going to be massive attention on it. Um, but... Uh, with regards to what you were saying earlier about the standards being raised on and off the pitch, I think it's only a credit to this team because, you know, they're the ones that have kind of changed it for themselves. I know Sky have come in and done brilliant work promotional-wise, but they wouldn't be able to do that if this team wasn't really performing to the levels they are. So, yeah, I think um, everyone will be really looking forward to it. And as you say, I expect it to be a sellout. 
Yeah, and I can't wait for it. And already it's September again. Like, isn't it great that we're talking about a women's international game? <laughs> we even you and I the fans of the game, but it's it's I'm even looking at the European Championships about to kick off in England and I'm reading already. I'm seeing I'm like I'm seeing player profiles, I'm seeing you know team profiles popping up in the English press all over the place now, which you wouldn't normally see. Um and you know, England do well there, that'll that'll give them a huge lift in that particular country. And I'm just thinking to myself, if Ireland could just get to a women's world cup if they could just get to a women's european championship it's the effect of being there not necessarily how well they get on at the first championships although we did well in 88 with the men's when we finally got there in germany i remember that vaguely but with the women's game what it would do for the game in this country alana not alone just qualifying but qualifying and actually doing something and winning and you know making their presence mm. felt there. You know it. You see it at League of Ireland level. You know, the boost it would give the domestic game to have Irish players at a major tournament doing well. Look what it's done for uh, for hockey and look what it's done for rugby, uh, for women's rugby and women's hockey. It can do the same for football. And that's why it's going to be such a huge, those those games are so huge in September, but I'm going to think positive that we get through them, we get through a playoff, we get there in 20... I, I'm really yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we can do it too. Like, it, yeah. even the uh, qualification process is so convoluted. I was trying to sort my head around it there the other day, but I'd say, yeah, massive momentum now. It'd be such a shame if we were to flop, but I really kind of don't see that happening. I can see us, we're going to, be out all guns blazing as our Finland now come September. But as you say, it would do massive stuff for football in this country. And just when, when you mention it, the Euros, I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, TV ad or TV. Up. I thought that was great. The, I think it's the under-19 squad they've been, um, you know, saying, right, OK, Ireland mightn't be in this one. But what that can do, representative as, you know, the can't see, can't be kind of mindset will be massive. So, yeah, um, it trickles down, as you say, down to the Women's National League and then, vice versa, back into the women's national team, like we're saying there with Abby Larkin and Jeffrey Stapleton. So all linked, but yeah, only positive, I think, really. Exactly. Well, it's a it's a bit of a gap between now and September. There will be some things to talk about in the meantime, and we'll have you back on the big red bench to talk about those aspects domestically and internationally. But let's look forward to that game in September uh, <laughs> against Finland and against Slovakia, Alana. For now, uh, thanks for joining us here on the big red bench. Thanks, Stuart. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW Ireland expert Mike Curran returns to this week's Big Red Bench to talk about two new signings that have just been announced and players that Mike has been working with, Orla Lally and Anya McDonough. More Irish land in Australia ahead of the new season, Grace Kelly and Eric O'Shea, and players heading out in a week's time, the Irish Crows Ailish and Niamh Kelly and Anya Tighe. Draft Watch, three players to keep an eye out for over the coming weeks, according to Mike, include Amy Mulholland from Armagh, Cara McCrossan from Tyrone and Claire Cahan from Cork. And finally, could we also see 21 Irish players in this season's AFLW? Let's find out. Now we're getting very, very close to the AFLW draft. We're already in the middle of pre-season and AFLW season 7.0 is right around the corner. Who better? than the AFLW Ireland expert and coach to lots of uh, current and upcoming signings in the AFLW. Mike Curran back on the big red bench with us once again. Mike, how are you? Evening, Ger. Very good. Glad to be back. Glad to be back, says you. Uh, if you're not coaching, you're talking about it. So AFLW is in the blood, so we're going to get, we'll get straight into it. News of two new signings and players who have been working very closely with yourself. You must be delighted. And who are those two players, Mike? I'm delighted, Jerry. A very big week. We had two new signings announced uh, this week. So firstly, we had Orla Lally uh, confirmed as a player for Fremantle Dockers for the coming season. So, of course, Orla 
from Meath, uh, an All-Ireland winning player with Meath last year, a teammate of Vicky Walls, 20 years old, um, from the Clannagale Club in Atboy. Absolutely brilliant player. Um, phenomenal person off the pitch as well. Delighted to see her heading over to Fremantle. She's going to Perth. She'll join up with Anya Tai um, and great excitement. We are actually out kicking with Anya and Orla last week. So they got to meet up and have a kick and um, very much looking forward to that. She's not going to head over until after Meet's involvement in the All-Ireland Series is over. So again, we're going to provisionally look at the first week in August for that one. But yeah, fantastic. As I say, a brilliant player, strong midfielder, a brilliant sports person. You know, she's a talented and an accomplished international swimmer a brilliant athlete. She can run up and down the pitch all day. She's physically strong. She's going to fit right in at Dockers and I can't wait to see how she goes over there. And I know, again, she's probably one of the younger Irish players to go at 20 years old. So her parents, Nora and John, are a little bit anxious, but we've met them. They met Ongi last week and they're now delighted that she's heading over to Fremantle and very much looking forward to that. And then we also had just in the last year or two, Anya McDonough. So this is the, the last of the new signings from the sign and trade period, signed as a rookie by Hawthorne. So the second Irish player going to Hawthorne where she will join up with Aileen Gilroy. Anya McDonough, of course, ladies Gaelic footballer from Galway, an accomplished basketballer as well with NUIG Mystics. Uh, two attributes that stand out and caught the eye of the AFLW list managers. Anya is incredibly tall and she kicks off her left foot. She's very athletic. She's up and down the pitch as well. Huge engine on her. And she has captained Ireland at underage level, under 17s, under 18s at basketball. Uh, so she's going to bring something to Hawthorne. She's going to play as a tall. So we could see her in uh, as a key defender, a key forward, and potentially even in the ruck. And I know Anya is very much looking forward. She was the last of the new players to be announced and the last of five new players that I've been involved in helping secure spots for this season. So thank God they're all out. They're all out in the open and official now. And I don't have to think about what I'm saying anymore, but amazing. Yeah. Anya will hopefully head to Melbourne and Hawthorne across the next week. We're literally just waiting for a visa to come through and flights will be booked within 24, 48 hours. So she is in a suitcase packed scenario and looking forward to getting over there. That's fantastic news for you, Mike, and for, for Orla, obviously, and for Anya. How important is it? briefly that these players have Irish players at the franchises that they're going to? It's a huge help. You know, um, it wouldn't be the end of the world if, if there wasn't. But of course, you have that comfort factor. I, I suppose we said it there a second ago, take Orla Lally, for example, 20 years old. Her parents are fully behind her going, but a little bit concerned, as you would be. And they met Anya Thai, the nicest girl you could meet. And absolutely and instantly delighted that she's going to be at the same club. And just a level of comfort knowing that there's someone from home there um, and it's going to be the same for Anya, of course, as well. As a new player, it's your first year over there. She's going to have Aileen Gilroy. They're going to run out onto the pitch. We had Eric O'Shea getting over there this week, running out onto the pitch. They're not going to know anybody. They're going to be 30 new faces. So if there's one Irish player there or a couple of Irish players there, that's a, a huge benefit. And look, at we've been talking across the last two or three weeks about how all these players support each other here at home. They train together. They help each other out. And the same applies in, in Australia, no matter what state they're in. They keep in touch. They support each other. But it's definitely, yeah, a big help uh, to have another Irish player there already that knows the ropes and has been playing for a couple of seasons and, and can just help them through that initial period. Brilliant stuff. Well, fantastic news, as you said, for Orla and for Anya and for their families. Obviously, a, diff a different time, uh, but an exciting time. And it's great to hear that they're joining the uh, the horde of Irish players now that are heading over to Australia. So there are two new signings 
but already, uh, so you've mentioned Erica O'Shea there earlier on. It was her birthday as well, and she was greeted with a lovely birthday cake. I saw that on social media. Um, for the likes of Grace Kelly and Erica and the other players heading over now in, within the next seven days of, of our recording of this podcast, Mike, it's getting really it's getting real now again. And that the players will be landing in Australia, they'll be hitting the ground running into the gym onto the training pitch. It's going to be a very busy time for the players um, that are going back. Oh yeah, and look at it, it's, it, the most important thing is it, it's hugely exciting, like they're all working hard regardless here at home anyway, but like when they're landing in Australia, that's when it really gets real and you know, we saw Erica, she had a birthday party on her first day at North Melbourne, how bad a start is that to your AFLW career, but you know, I was talking to her mom Maria and her, her dad John is with her obviously and they're, they're keeping in touch and they landed after a 21 hour flight from London to Melbourne. And they thought Erica might take a day to get over jet lag. She was, she was on the oval down at Arden Street within about four hours with a coach kicking the ball. They sent me a video and they said, can you believe this? And I said, I definitely can believe it because that's typical of, of the character. She just wants to get stuck in. Similarly, we saw the welcome that St. Kilda had for Grace Kelly. A group of the players went out to the airport to meet her. There was some questionable Irish dancing. <laughs> but we'll, we'll forgive that. Uh, but, you know, straight away, Grace Kelly is going to a new club as well. So straight away, all these existing players are putting their arms around the new Irish girls coming in, make them feel welcome. It's one of the most important things is to make the player feel welcome the minute they arrive and that they can get stuck into it. And as you say, um, more players in heading out possibly the first few days in July, which is about less than a week away. I suppose we've Ailish Constein and Neve Kelly both heading to Adelaide. We've Anya High heading back to Fremantle Dockers. We potentially have Rachel Kearns heading back to Geelong because she's now injured and her involvement with Mayo has finished so they're keen to get her back out and just get whatever little niggle she has started out so yeah slowly but surely the last of the girls that are going to go before the LGFA finishes are going to go in the next week or so and then we'll probably have a pause for a few weeks and then all of the players that are going after the championship finishes will will head out in a further two or three weeks but yeah very exciting for the girls to hit the ground get stuck in and then it's, it's straight down to business as you say the only thing that doesn't surprise me about that Eric O'Shea story of, you know, going to the Oval four hours after landing is that she she and her father weren't kicking it around on the actual plane itself, knowing Eric <laughs> as well uh, from her footballing exploits. But it just shows you the enthusiasm and the excitement, I suppose. And look, it's a big brand new world for her and it's something that's fantastic. And she's just one example of those Irish players that are getting an, oppor- a life, a life, an opportunity of a lifetime here might get paid to be a professional athlete. Why wouldn't they be excited? Of course, and look at it, it's a pinch yourself moment. Like uh, uh, the whole thing is an adventure, you know, going through the recruitment process, meeting with clubs, doing interviews, getting signed. That's amazing. You get signed, but then you physically go over there and you walk onto these facilities at any club. They are outstanding. The, the, the pitches, the setup, the gyms, the recovery rooms, the medical facilities, everything about the whole um, setup and facility at each and every club is amazing. And, and, and I know all of the players are in awe when they hit there initially. And just the fact in that they are just there to play football. So, you know, they'll, they'll play their football with their club maybe three evenings a week, uh, but they'll be in and out. The Irish players, especially the new girls like Eric and Orland, those will be in and out to the club probably every other day doing some extra kicking sessions and stuff. But yeah, it's just taking in the whole experience and just realizing, yes, they are actually there and they are being paid to be professional athletes, which is astounding and fair play to them all. Brilliant stuff. Well, between the players, the new players that have just signed, between the established players that are going back, in the middle of all of that, it's draft, the big draft week and the draft watch. And you've picked out three players. And uh, by the time our podcast goes live, the draft may well be concluded. These players may well or may not, may or may not have been picked up. 
But you have a reason for talking about these three individuals. So I'm going to let you go through each of those three players, Mike, and explain why these are players to watch out for in the upcoming draft. Yeah, of course, Sharon. And we touched on, on the draft and how it works across the last couple of weeks, of course. And basically, um, each team ha- w- was supposed to keep a minimum of three players, which you would have been looking forward to 54 players being signed. The AFLW have um, confirmed today that there are 80 spots available. So some squads haven't filled their lists up to the 27. So 80 players will go or, or will have gone probably last night by the time we go to air. So it's very exciting. There's a huge amount of players about to get signed. Um, from an Irish point of view, Historically, the draft, the first player to ever get drafted was Cora Staunton in 2018. Her name was slipped into the draft. Nobody had a clue who she was. Alan McConnell from GWS Giants uh, pulled the stroke of the century by getting her to nominate. Of course, the rest is history from there. The following season in 2019, Ash McCarthy from Tipperary got drafted by Western Bulldogs. So far to date, they're the only two players to be drafted. There are hundreds of girls in the draft. Like this is a huge, there's nothing guaranteed. Nobody knows who's going to get signed. But I've been working with a few of the players in the draft and there's a good few Irish girls all around the States and Australia that are in the draft, but I've just picked out three as a draft watch. And I think there's an outside chance that at least one of these players might get picked up. So we're going to go with, first of all, um, a player called Amy Mulholland from Armagh, previously played with Armagh. She's based in Perth. Um, She just went to Australia two seasons ago. She played the sport to just try something different and started playing Division One, won a premiership. In 2022, this season, she was elevated to the State League side at Subiaco, has been brilliant all season, gotten better and better. She is nominated for Western Australia in the draft, so don't be surprised if she's on the radar of both West Coast Eagles or Fremantle Dockers. So how fantastic would it be to see another Irish player going to either of those two teams? Second, we're going to look at Karen McCrossan, who's a player from Oma and Tyrone. She's based in Melbourne and She's playing with uh, Casey Demons in the VFLW. Again, this has been her first season in VFLW. She's been playing outstandingly well. Uh, she scored a goal in the preliminary final of the VFLW last week, which they lost. Um, but again, she's been followed closely, or I'd expect she's been followed closely by all the clubs in the Melbourne and Victoria district. So again, how good would it be if we saw her get a spot at either Demons or one of the other Melbourne-based clubs? And then thirdly, probably the most recognisable of the names um, would be Claire Kyohan, who's originally from Cork. And I suppose we know Claire from playing LGFA back with Cork in 2012 with, with Stacky and the likes of those great players. But further to that, she's probably been 10 years plus in the Irish rugby high performance unit. So playing both sevens and fifteens for Ireland, um, normally as a 10, so she's used to kicking the oval ball. But again, she's a doctor by profession and she moved to Melbourne for work saw this sport this year and said, I might try that in my spare time. Um, she wasn't able to commit to a full season of VFLW, so I might have played, I'd say, in the region of five or six games across the season, but instantly um, took a shine to it and started to excel at it. From her rugby background, obviously, she's been hitting serious tackle counts in some games, getting up to 10 tackles. So she is super keen to see if there's an opportunity there for her, and I've been working fairly closely with Claire. Um, she's playing in the VFLW Grand Final next Saturday with Southern Saints regardless but again um, how great would it be if, if she got picked up now she's nominated international and that means that she can be picked up by any club in any state so look at there's going to be huge excitement across all of Australia and now big excitement in Ireland because there's a number of Irish players in there um, if these players don't get picked or didn't get picked last night um, in the draft 
I'm very confident that they will play FLW across the next season or two. But how good would it be if we went from that number that's now solidified at 20 up to 21 by getting one more in in the draft? It, 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 at this stage, nothing surprises me about the ZFLW season and it hasn't even started yet, Mike. But that is, that's a brilliant insight into three obviously very talented players and individuals. And again, we're just saying on our segment here that we're watching out for them in the draft. We're not saying they're definitely going to get drafted. But the way you talk about Claire Cahan, the way you talk about Carl uh, McCrossan and Amy Mulholland there, it sounds like if they are drafted, they will be well able for the job. And if, if, if Ireland has a representation, I mean... We, we, we're forgetting here that there's 20 already, but if it goes to 21 or even, tw- got, you know, 22, I don't know, uh, above that, that is just absolutely fascinating. And what what an absolute, you know, boost for the sport in this country and the coverage that's going to come, not just with ourselves, but in press and on television and across other podcasts over the next 12 months or over the next six, seven months. Like, it's just, it's just going to explode. It is. And look, as I say, we already have uh, so many players to look forward to across so many clubs. Um, the interest has been growing year on year in AFLW with the various coverage on Sport TG Car and Virgin Media Sport. Hopefully we'll see those back in action again with games on every weekend, highlights every every Monday night, um, social media, highlights, watching live on the Watch AFL app. The, the appetite is there and with more players, there's more interest. And especially for the new players, there's new counties involved, new clubs involved. We're already hearing talks of, from the guys up in Meat that they're going to have AFLW watch parties for whenever both Vicky and Orla are playing. So, look, at this is brilliant to hear, and that's what you want to see. Huge support uh, for all the Irish players here at home. And, um, yeah, it's just hard to believe that we're about to hit the 1st of July and we're, we're six or seven weeks out from round one. Um, but how exciting that there is guaranteed 20 and possibly maybe another one um, heading into AFLW season seven. Yeah, we were talking, like... Off, off air, we were saying, well, you know what, we might take a break between here and when the season starts. We can't really, can't, why can we? Because there's, there's going to be something every week. There's going to be news. There's going to be players, you know, once they're in Australia settling in, there's going to be more and more headlines starting to come from Australia. And we here on the bench with yourself for as long as you'll stick with us or can take us are more than happy to have your expert analysis and uh, an inside track. Oh, absolutely, Jerry. Look at looking forward to rolling right into season seven, as I say, it, it's, it's coming thick and fast. <laughs> and uh, we'll be, we'll be analyzing the results of games in no time, I'd say, by the sound of it. But yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant stuff. As ever, Mike, thank you for that fantastic insight and all the latest news from AFLW. We're still in preseason. The draft is happening this week and very, very soon it will be AFL season 7.0 and we could have, we will have 20 Irish players, maybe more to talk about here on the Big Red Bench podcast. But in the, in the interim, uh, Mike Coran, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jar. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to discuss a new Clare Women's Rugby team that's forming, Munster Under-17 and 18 Squad Summer Programme, Munster Summer Camp starting off once again, and Skibbereen RFC's awards and details of their new Sevens tournament coming this August. Delighted to be joined now by the chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby, Wendy Keenan, for our weekly rugby slot. Even though it is the summer months, there is a hell of a lot going on. Wendy, you are interrupting your lovely holidays to talk to us here on the Big Red Bench, and we're very appreciative. How are the holidays going? Uh, great, great to be away. I'm down in Kerry, albeit a bit wet at the moment, but hopefully that will clear up over the next few days and I'll get a bit of golfing. 
Good stuff. There's no bad time to go to Kerry. Excellent stuff. And we hope you enjoy that. And we appreciate you talking to us. So let's not delay your lovely holidays any longer. We start this week with some really positive news coming out of the Banner County, usually associated with Camogie, ladies football and men's uh, football and, of course, hurling. But some great news about a new development in, in terms of rugby. Yeah, so I suppose, look, we, we, we've we had the models of the county teams in Tipperary and Kerry, and now we've meetings taking place with the Clare teams in relation to forming a Clare adult team. So I suppose, you know, over the last couple of months, I've spoken about Ennis and their very strong underage structure, but they haven't featured yet in, in adult rugby. So um, we also have Kilrush, who would be contributing there. And um, so just joining and forming a Clare entity to buy the pathway to the adult game. So another meeting out due to take place in July on this venture. So I suppose, look, watch this space. Um, and, you know, another positive outcome. It'd be great to have another adult team competing in the leagues. It certainly would. And it's fantastic. Again, just on that, before we move off it, Wendy, I mean, it's obviously worked in tip. It's obviously become a success. It's taken a bit of time, but with the right structures in place again, now, why shouldn't it work in Clare? I, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, and, and we've got to remember, and I've said this before, is it's just to provide, I suppose, a temporary pathway to the adult game while the numbers are growing, while the clubs can't exist independently on their own because they don't have, you know what I mean, the, the number of girls for that adult team. Um, it provides a pathway to the adult game. And look, you know, we've seen our international players come out of Clare, so I'm sure they'd be delighted to see an adult team come through and I'm sure they'd pop in. Um, and, and give their support there and, and assist with a little bit of coaching anytime they're around. So it would be great to see that happening. Excellent stuff. That's great news. We'll keep track of that as time goes on. But uh, wonderful to see that um, what has been a success in other Munster counties may well be a success. And why wouldn't it be in Clare with it? As you said, there's plenty of raw material and talent to work with. Now we move on to the Munster Under-18 squad and their summer programme. Yeah, so the under-17 and the under-18 start kicked off their, their summer programme. I think I mentioned it last week. And I just have to give a shout out to all those under 18 girls, under 17 girls that trained last Friday in the horrendous rain in Kenturk uh, Rugby Club. I think many of us would have uh, cancelled and, and thrown in the towel at that stage, but in fairness, they all turned up. So they had a great training session, but they're off to Kerry and uh, they're off to Kerry for a training camp in Trilly RFC um, this weekend. Um, so a little, a little exciting venture for them that they you know move outside the clubs now to down to Kerry to training for the weekend and the army have kindly donated the use of their tents for the camping in Chile RFC and um, there's lots of exciting plans for the girls and it'll conclude with the family barbecue um, before the girls head off home and um, which is a lovely way to you know to mean to get the parents and, and other siblings you know involved in, in celebrating the girls success in making that um, monster team. I'd be warned not to say too many details about the weekend because there's a few surprises for the girls but look I just want to wish them the best for the weekend and look hopefully they'll get a little bit of dry weather and a bit of sunshine and I'm sure there'll be swimming involved as well as the rugby so we'll talk about it again next week. Good. That's that's excellent stuff. I hope it pours rain because they're in the army tents. They need to do some serious work down there. I hope there won't be too much celebrating in the middle of it. But can I just say that's a very positive thing to do with the parents. Uh, it's often forgotten when a when a child and even a young adult at 17, 18 makes it onto an inter, you know, into into a provincial setup like that. There's a huge amount of traveling, there's a huge amount of sacrifice involved for the individual involved and for the girl and for the young adult, but even more so for the parents. And that's a nice touch just to to keep them involved and to, and to acknowledge all the, all, as you know, all the road and all the road that has to be travelled to to help yeah. this player up that pathway. And, and I always remind actually the players that it's so important that they thank their parents. You know what I mean? They take them to training, they take them to matches, they're driving them all through COVID there when we weren't using buses. 
you know, um, the parents really came on board and we're driving them all around the country. And more importantly, the parents do all the washing of the gear. Um, so that's another important aspect. So it's important we do say thank you back to the parents um, that do contribute to the girls' success. Um, so, yes, it'll be a lovely little adventure for them next weekend. Looking forward to hearing how that goes, definitely. Um, speaking of good news for parents, the Munster summer camps are upon us. And this is fantastic news, something that's been growing Um bit by bit every year in terms of popularity and we're about to kick off the 2022 version. Yeah, so I suppose like every week they're going to be in different venues. Um, so next week we'll see them kick off in Bandon, Ennis and Gary Owen. Um, so their age, the age group for those are girls and boys for six to 12 year olds. There are um, one or two places available in those if anybody hasn't signed up yet. But um, yeah, so the summer camps, it's hard to believe that, you know what I mean, the year has passed and we're, we're back into summer camps. So um, another busy time for the, the staff of Munster Rugby. But, um, so you know, we'll see all that on social media over the, ne- the next couple of weeks. We've seen the Give It A Try wrap up in the last two weeks in the clubs and the photographs and the celebrations and the events that have gone on have been wonderful so it's lovely to see that now continuing in in summer camps excellent stuff yes lots of fun ahead for uh, a growing army of young uh, developing monster players we finished this week when they talk about a club down here in west cork where i live myself and that's skibreen rfc a big awards night coming up and also uh, news of a new tournament kicking off in august yeah, so the Skibbereen RFC Awards are coming up next weekend. And look, I've no doubt that the women are going to feature here and I've no doubt that they'll receive awards. I've no inside knowledge, um, but you know what I mean? Their, their success to date speaks for itself. Like this past season, they've captured the Division 2 League, the Division 2 Cup and the Divisional Cup where they defeated a Division 1 team in the final. You know, we spoke to their captain, Avril, uh, and you know the development within the club. But I was also wanted to mention their coach, Sana, who's put in an awful lot of work. Um, and I just want to wish them the best really I'm sure there'll be lots of celebrations on the night that will go into the early hours but deservedly so too for the club and um, you know what I mean and the work that the girls have done um, to date and we look forward to seeing them in division one division one now next season but um, they also came up with a lovely idea they're going to kick start the season with a sevens tournament in Skipperine in August Um, I suppose they're hoping to have maybe 10 teams participating Um. I think they might get more than that. But if anybody's interested, contact Skibbereen um, RFC. And it's a lovely way, you know what I mean? A lovely trip away for anybody kickstarting the season. You know, the AIL clubs have actually started their training already last week. It's hard to believe oh. they'll be kicking off the first weekend of September with the AIL, you know what I mean? A little bit earlier than um, this season. So um, a sevens tournament in Skibbereen in West Cork, I'm sure will be a big attraction for a lot of the clubs um, for a trip away. You've certainly sold it very well there. There's, as if there's no bad time to go to Kerry, there's certainly no bad time to go to West Cork. I can vouch for that personally. Great news about Skibbereen and great to see them progressing off the field as well as on it. And a big, big year ahead of them. I cannot believe September is around the corner, he said, and it's only June. But it's truly, the year is flying and it's all year round when it comes to Munster Women's Rugby. And uh, it looks like we've got some very exciting months ahead. Wendy Keenan, once again here from the everyone on the Big Red Bench. Thanks for joining us this week enjoy the holidays and uh, we will interrupt them again next week for another chat no problem and thank you very much take care the big red bench saturday and sunday from 6 p.m the big red bench's formula one expert sarah mckenzie is back once again this week to preview the british grand prix in silverstone also christian horner and total wolf trading verbal blows once again the ongoing purposing issue that is affecting every formula one team and the w series welcome return to silverstone who can catch Jamie Chadwick? Let's find out with Sarah. 
No, we're delighted to be joined by our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, ahead of one of the biggest uh, dates on the calendar for a lot of Formula One fans in Ireland, and that is the Silverstone Grand Prix. As well as that, there's an awful lot of news happening as usual in the world of Formula One. So who better than Sarah to take us through what's been happening and look ahead to what will be hopefully a fantastic weekend's racing. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Good, yeah, thank you. We are uh, talking last week about the home of Formula One being in Europe. I think Silverstone is one of the great examples of that, so I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and at the time we were also talking about the likely uh, Grand Prix, hopefully not, but that may well uh, may well lose out as time goes on and years go on and money goes east and money goes west. For now, let's enjoy it when it's on our doorstep. And Silverstone, I think I think we'll start with Silverstone because Silverstone's just about as exciting. I, I think growing up, it was the one that, as an Irish fan, it was the closest one, obviously, Mandela's up the country. But mm-hmm. Silverstone was a big thing. Um, we're looking at a Formula One, a driver's championship right now with Max Verstappen well out in front, 175 points ahead of his nearest challenger, his teammate Sergio Perez on 129, then Charles Leclerc uh, for Ferrari on 126, and George Russell in the Mercedes still up there in fourth place on 111, and Carlos Sainz Jr., the other Ferrari driver, on 102. The Constructors' Championship, again, one big leader there, Red Bull 304, well ahead of Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, and Alpine. But I guess from a Silverstone point of view, I guess from coming over what we've seen at the most recent Grand Prix, how important the weekend is this for Ferrari, for Mercedes, and for anyone that's going to stop Max from shooting off into the distance? Because at right now, Sarah, that looks like the likeliest outcome. Yeah, massive. And interestingly, Christian Horner has just been talking about the fact that he thinks that Mercedes and Ferrari will both be quite strong in Silverstone. So I mean, you know, we hear a lot of uh, a lot of kind of windbag activity uh, from Christian Horner, but I think genuinely based on uh, the performances in, in Montreal, I think he has reason for, for some concern there. But with that being said, there's also a ton of teams are bringing upgrades for Silverstone, including Ferrari, Mercedes, Alpine, Aston Martin. There's a whole bunch of them. So I think it'd be really interesting to see whether those make an immediate impact. And it's worth mentioning as well that there's four British drivers on the grid which is, you know, it's quite a lot um, considering that there's there's only, you know, 20 of them out there in total. So I think they'll all be hoping to do, you know, their best possible performance at their home Grand Prix. And I think for a couple of them, definitely there's there's momentum there to build on. Oh my God, I just realised the hype machine is going to go into overdrive <laughs> on Sky Sports F1 when you just mentioned the four drivers. But rightly so, it's very, very few countries have that and have, have that, that amount of quality drivers at the top. For a track, that has always been downforce is the key word that I've heard with Silverstone. Always, if you got your downforce right and if you get your DRS zones right, you have a chance of winning straight line speed and all that. But because of the weather, and the weather may well be very uh, unsettled. Let's hope it is. That's the big kind of uh, you know caveat for this weekend. That irrespective of who's going well, if it's if it's bad weather, it may prove a bit level the playing field a little bit. Sarah, which car is best suited to Silverstone, I guess, coming into it? Obviously, Red Bull have the pace. Ferrari have been in and out, have had a few mechanical problems, but they should, if they get these new parts, as you said, be a lot more competitive. And what about Mercedes? Is, is this car and the porpoising and all the things we've spoken about before, are we nearly there now with a proper Mercedes car? I think so, yeah. And that was the kind of the point that Horner was making, that the Ferrari and the Mercedes are well suited to a track like Silverstone. So I think that's a big part of why he's expecting them to be strong. And... As, as we talked about before, I had sort of guessed that maybe Lewis Hamilton would stop experimenting as much with his car after being successful in Canada. That has proven to be true. He's going to kind of stick with a, a more standard setup now and stop trying to flip-flop back and forth to try and find performance. So I think there there is definitely potential there. 
as you said with the weather it's supposed to be raining friday and then dry saturday sunday at the moment now as we know irish summer british summer can change at the last second but i think you know definitely interesting if it were to rain on friday the teams may not as get as many kind of long runs as they would like with the new parts so it may take them a little bit longer to to kind of bed in there if it's a significant change so i think there is still you know obviously we've seen silverstone hundreds of times uh you know in action so i think there's still some some variables there that we can look forward to introducing a bit of uh, a bit of entertainment Yes, indeed. Entertainment being the key word. It would be remiss of me not to question my weekly question about Sir Lewis of Hamilton, because <laughs> obviously it's the home crowd. Obviously, it has not gone to plan at all this season, as we've covered very, very, you know, very in, quite in depth here on, on the podcast with, with you week after week. But aside from all of that, aside from a, set, a more settled car, better car, and it looks like it's going to be even better again this weekend. George Russell and George Russell's emergence. Um, I don't think maybe Lewis Hamilton actually expected or anticipated as much as he didn't expect the troubles he was going to have with the car. But if Russell qualifies him and if Russell does better than him and finishes higher up the podium here, like what's that going to do for, for, for Lewis Hamilton's psyche? Because he's somebody, he's an unbelievable competitor. He's a multi-world uh, champion. There's no doubt in the guy's talent. But when things aren't going your way and you're, you know, your co-driver, not your co-driver, but your your partner in the team is doing much better and being more consistent with the same machinery. The last place you want that to be exposed even more so is in your home Grand Prix in Silverstone. Fair point? 100%. I think probably he has like too much else to worry about at this point on his own plate for that. Don't get me wrong. I think he would 100% be peeved if, uh, if George did manage to, to outdo him in Silverstone. But in reality there's way too much that kind of comes before that on the list, I think, for, for it to be a major concern for him. I think if he can get a strong performance in front of a home crowd at all, I think he'd be thrilled. Um, you know, that that third place podium in Montreal, it was like he had won the race. Like he was he was that kind of relieved. So I think it's definitely, you know, something I think every driver thinks about that everyone's trying to beat their teammate, but I don't think it'll be a huge concern for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's a fair assessment where there. And before we move off from Silverstone, my weekly Ferrari rant, I just want the player to finish. I don't want any, yeah. no mechanical issues. If there's no uh, pit stop problems, you know, the car, two cars come in or even they decide to bring a third car in for the sake of it. <laughs> Things like that. If that can be avoided, I think this is a good weekend for Ferrari to hit back. I think Silverstone, from my limited knowledge, should suit the Ferrari car, certainly in straight line speed, whatever about the Red Bull. And if they get those new parts in as well, you know, an error-free weekend is another step in the right direction for Ferrari. I think the, the constructors is way beyond them. And I think the driver's championship is beyond them. If they can get both cars home and even in the top three, that sets them up for the second half of the season, Sarah. Totally. I totally agree. And I think if they can... We've had like, you know, really strong Leclerc, poor science. And then we've had strong science, poor Leclerc. And then we've had both having an awful weekend. As you say, if they could just put it together, the whole recipe for one weekend, I think it would give them a massive boost. And I personally, I would love to see it. I think we talked about this before, you know, even if you're not necessarily a Ferrari fan, it's always good to see Ferrari doing well because they mean so much to F1. Yes, it is. And thank you for saying that as a Ferrari fan. And we both know what this means is that both of them are going to slide out in the first corner. But anyway, we look forward to Silverstone and your analysis next week um, when we go a bit more in depth on it. But away from Silverstone, away from the track, Horner versus Wolf. Is this the new Netflix series that we haven't realized yet, Sarah? Because these two, clearly, they're respectful of each other in their positions, but they don't seem to like each other quite a lot. And it's it, the, their latest round of sound bites uh, have triggered yet another war of words in the media. 
Yeah, so there's a bit of a blow up in a team principals meeting in Montreal, um, which seemed to be kind of over the FIA's decision to investigate pork hoisting a bit more in depth. And it's a tricky one because we've seen, you know, these two face off before, but we also now have Ferrari's Mattia Bonotto, who's kind of weighing in behind Christian Horner as well. So that was interesting to me because obviously Mercedes have sort of shouted the loudest about Porpsing as a team. But with that being said, Carlos Sainz was one of the first drivers who actually expressed concern about, you know, the long-term health effects. And even on the, um, the Red Bull Alpha Tauri side of things, like Pierre Gasly has commented multiple times about how difficult it is in that car. So it's not that they're not experiencing it. I think these two just love to go up against each other. And I think in a way it's, I struggle with whether it's good or not for the sport. I think in some ways it looks like sort of never ending bickering. And there are times where you're just like, okay, maybe this is enough. But when the stakes are this high, which they are, you know, if there's a big decision comes in here from the FIA, it could affect all of the teams um and their performance i think it's always worth hearing what the team principals have to say yeah again i think that's very fair I, i'm 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 a bit tired of the, the bickering as well i know it makes good tv and it makes and i know mm-hmm. the media works trust me so i can see why they've won on the front pages or maybe even on the back pages but the porpoising thing i mean yeah. i say thing the element you've you've spoken you've explained it you've gone through it with us um since the start of the season you earmarked this is and you were correctly earmarked to predict that this was going to be a, a bigger problem than people knew i think at the start of the season but in terms of you know the teams being divided and what the faa can actually do about it where are we with that now yep so essentially there are two options at this point and their first one is that the FIA would devise a formula to measure the extent of the bouncing in each car. And then they would basically be told to stay under a certain level of bouncing. And that would sort of for, force them to make adjustments to how the car is set up in terms of the right height. And then the other option is that the FIA could install new regulations on the cars that have to be used by all teams, regardless of how much they do or do not experience porpoising. So either way there, you're talking about a significant change to how it's currently being managed, which is basically just each team is kind of managing it themselves. And if they were to limit the right height, for example, it would actually slow the Mercedes down massively. A lot of the pundits have actually said it would push them as far back as the end of the grid. So we really don't know exactly the extent of how big an impact this decision is going to have, but it's going to be big. And I think that's why we're hearing so much shouting um, because all of the teams, I think, are actually concerned. And really, it's kind of there is an element in Formula One of who shouts the loudest. And that's why we, you know, we hear the same voices all the time, pretty much. So this is it's pretty significant. And I, you know, they haven't said when exactly this is going to happen, but it is being investigated. It's underway and there is kind of something coming down the line. Well, that's good news, I think. But as you know, and I know, getting getting consensus in Formula One, even between two teams on something, let alone everybody, I think mm-hmm. the, only, the only thing, and it, you've you've explained it perfectly there, I think the only thing that's going to move this on is if the drivers come together and the drivers come together as one group and say, enough. We are not going to put ourselves in harm's way down the line with our bodies. And we're already putting our lives on the line driving these things. You need to do mm-hmm. something significant and tangible but I think getting it done mid-season ain't going to happen so we're looking already and you know the development of next year's cars is already underway you could be looking at two years Sarah is that fair 
I think it's likely to come before that because I do, I agree that drivers have, um, you know, in certain things when it comes to their health and safety, they do have a reasonable amount of sway. I think the they they work shouting quite loudly and they work quite unanimous. So I feel as though that part has kind of been ticked. I, I you know, I, I don't know when it will happen, but I do feel like it will have to be, it's going to have to be before the end of the year realistically I mean the teams like you said development for next year is already underway it's going to impact them no matter which you know which of the two options come in I'm I really think a lot of people are quite concerned about the impact this is going to have and rightly so rightly so indeed yeah we're going to keep talking about it because it's going to keep coming up and it's kind of going to escalate as, as the season progresses finally good news and a positive something positive to, to finish up <laughs> the W series is making a silver stone return and Jamie Chadwick is the name that you've you, you spoke to us about in, in that particular driver and rightly so and an unbelievable talent uh, in, in the previous round but silver stone who's going to challenge this uh, this potential champion yeah, so similarly, um, we've got a, a ton of British drivers in the F1 grid, and it's very similar with the W Series. So actually, the top three at the minute are all British drivers, and uh, Jamie Chadwick has won three out of three so far this season. She'll be hoping to keep that up. But I do think Abby Pulling and Alice Powell, who are in occupying the rest of the, the spots in the top three, I think they'll really be gunning to knock her off the top spot. It's never good to have someone completely dominating like that, especially in a series where everyone is trying to, you know, get the, get attention, put their hand up. So I think they could certainly challenge her if they manage to get clean racing in. There's been a few races this year that have been very stop-start, and I think it makes it hard to get any kind of decent track time under your belt when that happens. So I think if they can, if Abby Pulling and Alice Powell can manage to feel really strong going into the actual race, I think that they could definitely challenge Jamie. But with that being said, home Grand Prix you know she's never short of motivation but like it's going to be higher than ever so we'll have to wait and see what happens yeah and let's hope that Jamie Chadwick gets the the column inches and the media attention mm-hmm. uh, on a weekend when obviously that we, we talked about the four male drivers but like there's, there's the female drivers as well are just as talented and this is an opportunity now for, for for people who don't know who Jamie Chadwick is who don't know an awful lot about W Series when it's on at Silverstone and all the eyes of the world are on on it this weekend uh, it would be fantastic if I, I think if she got the recognition she deserves I know we talk about her um, yeah. the general motoring public especially I think would warm to her very quickly um, and even more so when there's so much talent in that in that W Series drivers lineup and that are going to be pushing her as you've outlined there Yeah 100% agree um, you know there were some interesting conversations during the week when Yuri Vips was uh, the Red Bull F2 driver was suspended there was a lot of people actually just said what about if they gave Jamie Chadwick the seat in F2 I think that would be amazing um obviously you know we want her to get it in a more positive circumstance ideally but I think even the fact that that conversation was kind of front and center is actually a silver lining to to you know um to that situation and I think she absolutely would deserve a seat in F2 so let's see what she can uh, what she can manage Indeed, uh, as as well as there was Alden this weekend, we'll be keeping a close eye on Jamie Chadwick as well. And we'll have a full report from Sarah as to how she got on in the W Series at Silverstone over the coming weekend. Lots to look forward to. But in the meantime, if people want to pick up uh, even more uh, Formula One uh, expertise, knowledge and coverage, where can we find Sarah McKenzie on social media? Yeah, so you can find my motorsport content on YouTube by searching my full name, Sarah McKenzie, and you can also find it on Instagram. I'm MacGram underscore, so that's M-A-C-K-G-R-A-M underscore. 
Excellent stuff. Can't wait to talk next week. I'll have, um, yes, I'll be ranting about Ferrari, but we will talk about <laughs> the other teams as well. Uh, Silverstone coming up once again here on the Big Red Bench. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie, thanks for joining us. Great stuff. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Cork overcame Waterford to secure a TG Car All Ireland LGFA quarter final tie against Mayo last weekend. Echo Chief sub editor and friend of the Big Red Bench, Rory Noonan, caught up with Cork manager Shane Ronane and captain Darren O'Sullivan to review an important victory for the Rebels. Darren, obviously, most important thing here was the result. Conditions weren't great, but you got the job done. Now you move on to the quarterfinals. Delighted with that, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, we came here to do a job. Um, management put in a massive emphasis on that before the match. They didn't mind if we won by one point or, or ten points, whatever it was. We just need to get over the line today and qualify for the quarterfinal, and we did that, so we're, we're happy. No doubt, obviously, at times there it was frustrating with the, with the water blanket defence, and it took a bit of time to break it down, but in the second half, you really you took over and dominated and drove on to a well-deserved win. It did, yeah. I think our experience showed there in the second half. Um, we got a good few moves together. Uh, girls running off the shoulder and just with about 10-15 minutes to go, we kind of started getting the scores. Um, but it did take a long time to break down that water defence. And I suppose on a personal point of view, it's always nice to get player player of the game. And it's great to see you, um, you know, injury-free touch wood and moving, and moving forward with that, hopefully. Yeah, um, look, delighted. Um, I don't know. I... I'll have to do a bit of video analysis I think there's always room for improvement um, the wind changed there again in the second half and I dropped a few short um, and look there was mistakes all over the pitch and we'll learn from those um, as I said we're just happy to get over the line today Looking back to pitch from the full forward line you know you must have been really delighted with your defence was today like you know there was, they've made some outstanding blocks uh, tackles etc you know and they really really kept water for the bay and any time you keep a side scoreless in the half like shows just how well they were playing Yeah look I think uh, routine feeling gave an exhibition there in the full back lane especially in the second half um, and a lot of the girls when we broke quickly as well Laura Manny coming out of defence really stood up there and things weren't going against, or things were going against us um, we were giving away a ball we wouldn't typically give away and all that but we kept working hard and that's a sign of a, a good team I think and obviously two weeks time semi-final no doubt the second match or the quarter-final no doubt you'll be interested in the second game here because you play the losers of that so no doubt you'll have one eye on that as well yeah absolutely um, look I think the big focus um, from our management team this year is to, to focus on ourselves and control the controllables um, but yeah I think uh, the lads will be probably have the video of this match and, and we'll try learn a bit from that as well Shane obviously the most important thing here today was you got the result you wanted and you now move on to the quarterfinals but at times it must have been a bit frustrating particularly in the first half with the blanket defence yeah yeah, I suppose Rory look, we, we, I suppose we were expecting that but I don't think we, we adapted very well to it in the first half and we probably uh, you know forced a lot of things and we didn't do the things we spoke about doing before the game so we would have been disappointed at that at half time but you know, I think we finished the first half well. We got two good scores from from being three down. We, you know, three or four. We were four down. I think we got it back to two. So it was, you know, a manageable lead. And uh, I thought in the second half we played played very good football. Um, you know, totally controlled the game. Uh, dominated every every sector of the field and I think uh, you know our defence was outstanding in the second half and we took the scores probably could, could have got a couple of more but look, we're, we're very happy with the second half display especially and obviously as we're sitting here the wind was a huge factor as well you had you were against it in the first half but you made great use of it in the second half then when you did have it yeah I thought we played very well with it in the second half probably took, probably could have kicked a couple of more shots we would have been disappointed that the girls weren't shooting I suppose they were, I suppose they were just being a bit conscious of, uh, of not giving away the ball but uh, you know it, it was a very very difficult condition to play with um, you know and, and look I suppose the way Warford 
it set up as well. But I, I, can't, I have no complaints about that. Um, you know, if, if they come out of here with the right results set up like that, then you know more power to them. I don't have any issue with that. With the way teams set up, you set up to your strengths. And uh, look, we, we didn't set up that way. They did. Um, we didn't deal with it very well in the first half. I thought we dealt with it very well in the second half. Something that you've been working on in the in the block of training after the league. Was, was your tackling and your, your aggression maybe and your physicality in the game your defence today was absolutely outstanding rushing feeling had an absolute brilliant game I thought and maybe in some people's eyes you could even play the game instead of doing but I thought like defensively like you know they really really are you know at the pitch now yeah look they, 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 especially in the second half I think they did the exact things that we asked them to do we met them early in the tackle we, we knocked them back out you know outside the 45 didn't allow them too much time inside in the, in the scoring zone whereas the first half I thought they got inside us a bit uh, we wouldn't have been happy with that but look that is something we certainly worked on. We're meeting the players out the field further, um, and look, we'd be very happy with, with, with especially with the second half to stay in, in, in that regard. Obviously, it's, it's job done. Move on to the quarterfinals, and the second game that'll be starting here shortly. You know, I don't you have a little bit of interest in that? Yeah, look, we'll stay on to watch this. Uh, the manager will because uh, you know whoever whoever loses this game uh, will be the team we play we face in the quarterfinals. So look, uh, whoever that'll be, look, we'll be ready from week two weeks to be ready for that. Uh, hopefully, all the bodies will be okay after today because it was a good tough game. Um, but look, look, we're exactly where we want to be. We want to top the group. We've topped it. Uh, we played good football for most of the games. We, you know, most of the two games we've been involved in. Um, our defence has been excellent. And look, we're we're, we're really looking forward to two weeks. The big red bench. Saturday and Sunday from six pm. Fox Senior Manager Matthew Toomey joins me in this week's big red bench to preview Saturday's Glen Dimplex All Ireland Showdown with Tipperary. We also hear from Echo columnist Mary Newman who reviews Cork's Intermediates All-Ireland defeat up in Derry and the Cork Under-16's Tesco All-Ireland loss to Galway. And Mary previews both Cork sides' big weekend clashes. Plus, Mary takes the time to review Cork Club Aeroag's fantastic Fela Camogie national title success. Now, it's just been a very, very busy weekend for Cork Camogie this past weekend uh, at Intermediate and at Under-16 level. And also um, some good news um, and the John West failure, which we'll talk about as well. But this coming weekend is even busier because um, all of those teams are back out again with very important matches. So there's only one person really to talk to, and that is the Echo columnist and uh, Camogie uh, expert, we're going to call her, Mary ah. Newman. <laughs> Mary, Mary, how are you? I love that. <laughs> expert, I don't know. And Granger, thanks. The weather's beautiful as, as normal, but other than that, uh, we're fine. <laughs> right. It, it wasn't the best weekend for Cork, to put it mildly. Let's just briefly uh, touch on the, let's start with the under 16s because you were at that match at Castle Road on Sunday. Galway defeating Cork 6-3 to 1-7 in the Tesco All-Ireland Under-16 Championship group match. Now, all is not lost for Cork because they've got Kilkenny this coming weekend. But what a disappointing result and I suppose was it a disappointing performance as well, Mary, from the Under-16s? Yeah, Joe, I was actually very disappointed with the performance. Um, I had seen them last week and I thought they were absolutely flying. Um, I saw them play the match last Thursday week and I thought they were absolutely flying I thought they were a very good team their work rate their everything about them I just don't know what happened yesterday now it was the horrific days you know like we had I suppose three seasons in one we had three horrific thunder showers during the game but like I just I don't know what was like I couldn't I can't put my finger on it there seemed to be no bite there no I, I, I just couldn't I, I just couldn't believe it was the same team that I saw last week was it nerves I don't know but I, I have to give Galway credit they were superb I thought their first touch was absolutely brilliant their awareness and they had three or four very 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 good players mm. very their handling of the ball everything they just tore into it they they were so determined and I think like Cork like at half time 
just kind of there for the taking, really. But Galway hit like for those goals. They opened up the Cork defence and they, they just they got the goals at crucial time and just they hit Cork so hard, Cork just couldn't come back. Now, for 10 minutes of the first half, or the second half, like when there were two points in this, Cork attacked and attacked and attacked, but they just couldn't break them down. Galway brought an extra player back behind the ball and they just stopped Cork from scoring. They just, and the goal, they just broke down the field. This small little one, uh, Sophie, I think, I, I can't remember her second name now, Slim. but she was, she wasn't, I think she wouldn't be up to my knee if she stood next to me. She was the tiniest little thing I ever saw playing under 16. But she just, the ball, they just cleared the ball down the field, it broke to her and she took off from the halfway line and she nobody could catch her and she just buried it into the net. And two minutes later, they got the second goal and it knocked Constance out of Cork. It just they couldn't recover from it. They just, though to their credit, they tried. They just couldn't recover. But like, hopefully next weekend, you know, the the the, the sting will be in the tail now against Kilkenny, and they have to win. If they don't win, they're gone, and they know it's like. Yeah, this is, this is real knockout Camogie Championship for this yeah. group now. And look, yeah. they've, they've been very successful for so long. It might be a reality check. Hopefully they can bounce back against Kilkenny, but that won't be any easier in Mary because this is, of the three teams left in the championship, let's be fair, under 16A, it is Cork, Kilkenny and Galway that you would be looking for as a potential yeah. winner. Yeah, like you'd say, if you saw that group, you'd say that's a group of death, and it is. And I, the only daily said it to me last week, he said it's the group of death. Like, it's the, it's the groups like that you'd have used, like to keep these ones apart. Um, because we all know Kilkenny, like, the Kilkenny are good, their colleges are good, they've been good all the way up the line, they're always there or thereabouts. And will they catch you up in Kilkenny? It's a tough place to get a result. Now, Cork won the All Ireland last year, they beat Kilkenny in the final, and like, They'll be up for it, and like after being beaten this weekend, it'll also be Kilkenny's first game. Yesterday, Cork's first match, equally so Galway's first game, but maybe that first match syndrome was there yesterday, and maybe you know if they can just up and refocus, you know they're in with the right chance. But like they'll have to do it next weekend. It's it's all or nothing next Sunday, you know. Indeed, it is. Um, also next weekend, a big weekend for Cork Camogie in that the seniors and the intermediates play a big double header, and we'll be previewing that throughout the podcast this weekend in the build up to it. The Cork seniors under Matthew Thumi are obviously already through, but they play Tipperary. Tipperary needing to win at senior level, but at intermediate level, uh, Mary Cork coming off a disappointing loss up in Ombeg away to Derry, and they need to beat Kildare in their final match. Yes, well, you know, yesterday I suppose it was always going to be a tough one. Derry, it's tough to go there the rest of the time. Um, but they went, they were well prepared. You know, I know Joanne Casey didn't start because I know she was sick during the week, but she came on and Cork, like at one stage, were five points behind and came back. But it was disappointing to lose. Um, but as you say, all is not lost. Have to beat Kildare. Kildare are at the bottom of the league, haven't won a match. But equally so, Kildare won't want to be the team to go into that relegation by by battle. So they'll want to get out, get two points and get off at the bottom. Um, Derry are an equal point for Cork at the moment. Um, they play Wexford. Now Wexford are three behind Cork and Derry. So Wexford will be trying to push Derry. So like we, we could have been a situation where if Cork are beaten and if Derry are beaten, you could have Cork, Derry and Wexford finishing a nine points. But I would expect Cork to beat Kildare. Cork beat them comprehensively in the league. I think Cork will be too good for Kildare, and I think this, you know, we could have a shootout between Wex, uh, Derry and Wexford. Um, will Wexford beat Derry? They could, hmm. and then it'll go to obviously if Cork are on twelve points, they won't care if Derry are beaten, or if, if Derry win, 
Cork and Derry and Cork with both on 12, it'll go to scoring difference. I think at the moment, Cork are on plus seven ahead of Derry. So, so if Derry and Cork will, they'll both go through and it'll be on scoring difference who tops the group and goes to the semi-final. So it's going to be kind of an interesting day. Mm. Next Saturday, we'll be keeping one eye on Derry and Wexford, I suppose, and another eye on uh, Cork and Kildare. But I expect Cork to be Kildare, especially in Parky Rain. I think they played very well there the last day. Few changes to the team yesterday. Do you know, did they work out? I wasn't there. So um, obviously I can't comment on whether they worked out or not. But um, they will be disappointed to have lost it going so well to the pity, really, because, you know, they could have probably consolidated their place at the top. Going into the Kildare match would have been great if going on 12 points with, you know, a semi-final within your mm. grasp. But it's still there. So it, it probably, it'll come down to Derry and Wexford to see where they finish. And if Cork can beat Kildare, they won't worry about that. Exactly. So a big day ahead for both the senior and the intermediates next yeah. weekend. As we said, something very positive. And the under-16s, of course, playing away in Kilkenny. But we finish this week on a positive note. And huge uh, congratulations. Your um, your article up on echolive.ie about Aerog being crowned John West Division 1 Camogie Fela champions, beating Boharlahan Duala of Prairie in the final up in Abbottstown this past weekend. A terrific achievement for Aerog because... It's not an easy competition to win, as you know, Mary. It's very hard to qualify for it, let alone win it. But to win the Division 1 Camogie Fela, that's a serious achievement by Aerog and bodes well for the future of the club and inter-county players that might come from it. Yeah, indeed it does. And indeed, Aerog had to battle hard to get out of Cork. If you remember, their semi-final went to extra time and I think it went to extra, extra time and so did the final. So they really, really had to you know, battle to get there and... Amazingly, like in the group, I think there was um, it was Kilmacud Crokes beat them. They lost one match in the group, but they went through and they topped the group on scoring difference. So um, they came through, had played Borland earlier in the competition and had defeated them by two points. But uh, a marvellous achievement. They won it in 2019 again as well. So huge work going on there in Aerog. And, you know, I suppose every club, there's huge work going on in every club. But I suppose they really, like, they, they it, it's fantastic for them to win it. And great for Cork as well. And earlier in the season, we had the regional final. So we mustn't forget that Bishopstown won the Division 4 place. And Newtown Chandram actually won the Division 2 um, regional final so like that, that's three Cork teams have brought failed titles you've had Aerog with Division 1 you have Newtown Shandon with the Division 2 and Bishopstown won the Division I think just four place so like three Cork teams doing well in Fela augurs very well for you know Cork at under 15 16 level for the future which is great but as I say massive congratulations to Aerog and I good friends out there in Aerog long standing people like Rose Malone all down the years Ken Murphy, they've all put huge work into the club down through the ages, like, you know, and it's for people like the Martina Hutchinson is another one, you know, and there's so many others, loads more that I'm probably forgetting, but they'd be all good friends of mine. Paddy Corkery, another man who's doing great work out there in the schools. And uh, so it's great for Aero and great for Cork, and I'm delighted for them. They're not thrilled. And I was in touch with them yesterday with their PRO, and um, yeah, it's just great for them. So we're all delighted and sending more congratulations from everybody in Cork I'm sure I speak for everyone in my own club and all the clubs to say well done to all the Cork clubs and Fela and Fela is brilliant we all love Fela so Indeed. great year for Aeroge well done it is and listen uh, you can read uh, Mary's summation of how Aeroge won that John West title on Echo Lloyd-Vary as well um, as all our coverage every week on Cork Intercounty at the moment and upcoming club championships Mary we'll talk to you again next week thanks for joining us thank, thank you Jared. God bless 
No, it is a big weekend for Cork Camogie. Uh, the senior and intermediate teams play a double header this coming Saturday. Uh, both are involved in important Glen Dimplex senior and intermediate All Ireland Championship ties. Uh, obviously, the uh, intermediate team will be taking on Kildare, and uh, they're still looking to secure a semi final spot. But as for the seniors, Matthew Toomey and his squad are already through, but they take on a Tipperary team that need a victory, as there's quite a few teams uh, still angling for a semi final or even quarter final berth. We're joined now on the line by the Cork senior camogie manager, Matthew Toomey, once again here on the Big Red Bench to look ahead to what should be two very interesting games. Matthew, how are you? You're very welcome back. Hi, George. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Um, we've we've spoken before about uh, the build up to this particular game. It's a different type of game in that look. You've already qualified, but you're playing a team that need to win. So it's a compet- there's going to be a competitive edge to it. From your point of view, you've mentioned the fact that the semi final is so far out. You need these types of games. How have preparations gone since we last spoke, and how much are the players looking forward to getting another match under their belts this weekend? Yeah, preparations have gone gone good. Like we're after um, the break. You know, of matches probably the, the world are good because we had a lot of needles and like a lot of them are kind of coming around now. But no, preparations are good. Um, player wise, we're like we're, we're probably still shy one or two for the Tipperary game, but um, we will, we will be putting up a very strong team at the same time. Just to, as you say, just to give it a rattle now and to know if it's our last game now before we play the semi final. Um, how tempting was it? to even experiment at this point of the season I know you need and your players need the games and I understand why but you've got a big panel and a lot of players trying to put up their name, hands for, for, for selection was it a very easy decision to go to go strong with the starting lineup? It would be because I, I think it would, it would do an injustice um, to the rest of the teams who are involved if we just kind of threw a hat at it um, we, 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 we have tried out a lot of players during the year like, because like, I suppose that was a big conscious thing of others like to give many players a run as we possibly could and we have done um, but at the same time you know like I suppose it's a great test of us now that's when Tipperary have everything to lose you know if they, if they get beaten by us they're, they're all they are Ireland so it's, it's a huge thing game for them and it's just like when it's not so like we say it's, it's not cut and dry for us because we're, we're, we're like it's, it's, it's not a do or die game so it's just I'd like to see the kind of mental strength of the lads like you know just this is only for sixty minutes for pride, more than less, and we want to go out of the group unbeaten as well, going to a semi final. So it is, it's a different kind of a outlook on us now, I suppose, compared to the other games we're playing. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And look, this seems a bit silly to ask a manager of an intercounty team who've won four out of four in their group matches, top of the table, done what you set out to do, qualified for the semi finals of the All Ireland Championship with a game to spare. But has your team put together a full? 60-65 minute performance that you're happy with so far or has it been incremental the performances and they've improved game on game and I mean I asked that question because you know as well as any manager or coach getting to a semi-final and final you have to put in a full 65 plus performance if you're going to if you're going to bring home that trophy Definitely um, I, I don't think we have played a, a full game that we kind of go well that was good like you know there, 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 there has been a lot of stuff that we weren't happy with we kind of got to sleep in some games and left teams back into a world needlessly um, have we like I suppose we've geared around in the hope that we would be at this stage of the, the season you know that we were still in the reckoning come to a semi-final so we have been gauging our kind of training and all that to this um, it, it like was a risk not really because we, we, we kind of still put out the way we played but like we, we for the semi-final and please got a final we will be you know we're hoping to be peaked around then you know we, we, like I, I think there's another gear on us it's not two gears even to be fair 
Um, we have yet to play a match this year, the whole year, with a, with a full team, nowhere near us. Like we've always been known two or three players every game. So like, we're hoping to get all the, the players back on the field, get everyone in the right positions, and you know, and and really, really push on. Um, I, I, I think, as I say, I definitely think there's another gear. So are we in a good position? Hopefully, you know, there's no point going if we don't go into that gear. But um, the potential is there to to go into another gear. And I, I think that the players are in a great frame of mind. They they know what it felt like last year to lose, and I think that's a big carrot for us as well. Like you know, we keep harping on about that when we came off the field last year. It was it was a horrible feeling, and uh, we do not want to repeat that. Like, and that's that's a, a big carrot for us as well. Yeah, I mean the motivation from the player side. I mean, I wouldn't even question anyway because I know them and I know what motivates them. And it's the same for you and the management team. It's interesting that that's still a factor, though. That that's still something that's driving this team on. Like, I mean, you didn't do anything wrong in that final. I just think Galway were better on the day. That's just a personal opinion. But it's interesting that that's still what drives these players. And does that make it easier to coach them then and organize well, them because they're so motivated? Absolutely, because I I think you know for me taking on the job last year. Um, you know, it's a huge commitment, but it was like I think I was sold by the players one hundred percent because um I think it was about two weeks after that they were on to me, um, can we get back training? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the way they were about two weeks after the match. Like there was like I, I suppose in what your point was like with us, like yeah, we didn't play bad last year, like it goes down as a, a great final, but you know, you don't want to lose a great final before to win a bad final any mm-hmm. day, but we did lose a great final, but um like there was one thing that kind of stuck out with us. Then we we just hadn't the bench. We hadn't you know the players were there, but we probably didn't utilize them as much as what we wanted to do. And that that was a big thing in my head. And when the management came in alongside us, that was the talking point from day one. We need a bench. We need like twenty three, twenty four players. And you know, thankfully, hopefully, we have it. Yeah, I think you certainly do. And I think you've been very smart in the way you've been adding to the squad and using your players throughout the year. Now, time will tell as we get to the business end, as you know yourself, um, hopefully it'll work out for you. But just a general question uh, for you, Matthew, because on the ladies football side of things, when it gets to this point of the championship, there's four quarterfinals. So pretty much everyone that comes out of their group plays the same number of games. Now, you're not playing until the 23rd of July again after this weekend's game with Tipperary. That's quite a gap. Whereas somebody you might face in the semi-finals will have a game in between uh, at Semple Stadium as well on the 16th. Is like, I mean, look, you've taken the semi-final place, it was an offer, and you've got it, and you're happy with that. But from a management point of view, would a game in between be handier? Or are you just happy to have that gap? And, you know, and I, again, you've mentioned injuries and a chance for injuries to heal up. But I just thought it was an interesting, it's a difference between the Camogie Association's business end of the knockout ch- stages of the championship compared to the ladies' football, where everybody plays a quarter-final. Um, is it something worth looking at or are you happy with the way it is right now? I suppose right now I'm happy because we're in the semi-final <laughs> you know, we're, we're avoiding a tricky game um, yeah but there, there's, there's plus and minuses to it like you know I suppose like ourselves and whoever top the, the other group go straight to the semi-final so we will be playing someone who's after the game the week before I, I think that's the way it works anyway that mm. the, whoever wins the quarter-finals be drawn against ourselves and the winners of the other group Um you know, there's, there's pros and cons for like we say if they pick up a knock on the week before a match, you know, a week is long or it's a short time to get these kind of niggles healed. Um, I, I suppose we're kind of used to this. Um, like we, we like whoever we're playing is going to be a tough game. Obviously, I, I, I would presume it's going to be the losers of Galway and Kilkenny next week. We will be playing in the semi final. Um, so like I, I suppose look, we 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 just want to be in the semi final. Um, we're there. 
they, I suppose like the match next week is is you that's the probably the factor of that where we will have to put our strong team against the Pereira because we won't have an opportunity to play a game. I wouldn't imagine so unless we get an in house game or something like that. Um so but I, 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 as I say, I'm fifty-fifty with it. Yeah, the game probably would have done as good, but as I say, the, the, the most pressing factor now is we're in the semi-final. That's that's all we really wanted. Indeed, and just finally, um, an opportunity this Saturday at Parky Ring. Uh, up, up first are the intermediates taking on Kildare in a game that they need to win under Trevor Coleman. Followed by yourselves at four o'clock throwing against Tipperary. An opportunity for the Cork supporters to come out and see two very very talented teams but also to get behind you uh, just before both teams reach the business end of the championship yeah hopefully but, um, you know, it's, it's, I suppose we have got better codes this year than we've ever had um, I suppose there's a couple of factors to that and, and people who are involved I suppose add to that um, yeah it'd be great because I don't think these players over the years have got you know fair enough um, kind of people watching the games like and it, the games are very good like you know they have improved immensely over the years as I said previously on your show like the, the rule changes and, and just the, the conditioning of the players and the, the hurling skills and all that it, it is it, it, because hopefully if we get to whether or not it'll be great spectacles down there on, on Saturday it's, you know and hopefully Trevor and the lads do the business for the intermediates as well because it'd be great to see them getting a run into the semi-finals and please gone into a final as well it'd be, it'd be great and like you know just first hand the players there as well so like it looks like two good games, hopefully. No? Excellent stuff. This Saturday, parking ring, four o'clock throw in um in the Glen Dimplex All Ireland Group One champ uh, Group One uh, All Ireland Championship. Cork taking on Tipperary. Cork already through to the semi finals. Tip need a win to try and get into the quarter finals or semi finals themselves. Um everybody here on the big red bench and listening in wishes you all the best, Matthew, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.